It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Carrie Fisher, president and co-owner of Fisher Space Pen Company, the iconic American family business based in Boulder City, right next to Las Vegas. The company was founded by his father, Paul C. Fisher, inventor of the original AG-7 anti-gravity pen, the one first used by American astronauts on Apollo 7 in 1968. For everything about the Fisher Space Pen Company, go to spacepen.com. And Carrie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Fat to be here. Fascinating story. So before we even get to your background, which is also interesting, let's talk about your dad, since he got this whole ball rolling. And apropos of him, so much has gone on over the decades that I think we'll clearly talk about during our conversation. But would you consider your dad a visionary in the sense that he was the inventor? So we talked about the anti-gravity pen, but just the fact that he looked at ballpoint pens and realized that something could be done with them that would allow it to be used in space? He really wasn't focused on that. He was one of the pioneers in the uh, pen business. He started out as a vendor to the first the company that introduced the ballpoint pen in the United States about 1946, I believe it was. And uh, he wasn't too impressed with it at that time. Uh, the solvents were very low surface tension, oleic acid based. So they'd run out the tip, they'd run out the back. You could transfer a signature with your thumbprint a week after somebody had written it. So, uh, <laughs> not, not very forgers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, the ink would dry up in six months or so. Uh, so there's just a lot of problems with him. And he, when he first looked at it, he just said, "Oh, this is a faulty concept. It's no good. It'll never be any good. I don't want anything to do with it." But he couldn't turn down a screw machine job shop business, so he took some of that and he, he basically helped his best friend set up their first production line in the United States. Um, uh, he finally became a believer by the time Milton Reynolds went out of the pen business two years later. Uh, he asked, he went to Mr. Reynolds and says, well, if you're not going to be in the pen business anymore, do you mind if I get in? Because I, I think I can do something with it. And um, he said, sure, why not? So snow skin off my nose. Uh, and so he started making a better, tried to make a better pen. And he tried to pressurize pens from very early on. So Now, the idea behind pressurization is what specifically? To keep the ink from leaking or to allow it to perform other tasks? Well, one of the big problems is it would back leak. If you wrote upside down with a pen, you'd break that straw, like this, when you pick up a straw with your fingertip on it, you hold the liquid, you pick up your finger, it all runs out. Well, if you wrote upside down with a regular pen, all that ink would start running out the back if you kept it upside down. So that and the, and the drying out, he's thinking, well, boy, if I sealed it up and pressurized it, um, then it couldn't dry out, could it? Right. It couldn't run out the back. Couldn't, so it, now it, right, all I got to exactly. do is worry about running out the front. <laughs> Which yeah. you want it to run out. Yeah, in order yeah to write. But, but you want it to run out when you want it to run yes, out. Yes, right. Not, not on its own. <laughs> So he did thousands of experiments. He'd make a make an ink and a point combination, and he'd leave it on his desk with a pressurized with a from our compressors, 
and you come back the next morning, and sure enough, you have a puddle of ink on his blotter. So didn't work too well. Um, uh, but he kept at it. And then one in the early 60s, his dad came to him um, in a dream, because he'd been, dis- been deceased. He says, if you put rosin in the ink, you can solve your problems. Interesting. So he went to his chemist. His chemist, by the way, we hired and we paid him for a year before we had anything we could use from him. But you had he, fa- did, yeah. he had faith in the chemist, though, that at some yes. point something would break yeah. through. Um, and uh, so, anyway, there's not that many rosins, I guess, um, five or six commercially available. So he tried them all, and none of that worked. But he got thinking, well, Paul and his dad wouldn't know the difference between rosin and resin. So let me try some resins. <laughs> so he found a, a, a synthetic rubber from uh, B.F. Goodrich that... Um, actually worked pretty well. We first put it in our, our pens and our gravity pens, and what it did is it you used to get a buildup. When you when you wrote with a pen, some of the ink would pile up on the, on the tip of the point. Uh, it wouldn't all get sucked back into the socket. Uh, and then eventually you'd get enough on there, you'd, you'd get a little blob on your paper unless you continually wiped it off. By putting that a little bit of rubber in the ink, it made it self-cohesive so the ink wanted to stay together so it would kind of suck it back in to the rest of the end of the socket instead of building up on the outside and it side benefit was it added to the wear life of the refills so um, my dad ran against john kennedy in the 1968 new hampshire primary after president kennedy got elected he called my dad and asked him to uh, help fix the post office pens because they were terrible the specs only talked about the size and shape of the pen, I didn't talk about at all about how they wrote, uh, how long they would last, the quality of the writing, any of that. So my dad went to Washington and helped them write specs, which we could meet. Uh, because of that rubber we put in ink, it turned out nobody else could pass the specs. <laughs> so for, for, I don't know, three or four years, we had all the post office. Right. The, they call it a monopoly, Kerry, I believe. Uh, for that uh, period of time. Yeah. <laughs> accidental monopoly. But yeah, accidental, right. <laughs> uh, eventually, he kind of let the cat out of the bag, and we had... A, 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 he was a very nice competitor. We had a company, Angepen Company, who uh, was trying to build... Um, I, I think they assigned it to the Indians to, to make the post office pens. So the Indians were trying to get the refills from Anja, and... Um, they were having trouble with because when you put add that rubber to the ink, well now they were it was starving it was feeding out because because the ink's a little thicker, a little more adhesive, and so my dad just told him you just got to make your breakthrough hole bigger so there's you know a bigger tube to feed the ink into the point right, and that solved the problem and they and we lost the post office business so. Uh, but you went from post office to space now. Tell, how did that happen? Where all of a sudden now. You have the Fisher Space Pen, well, my, which is, yeah. you know, the, the whole story of that, which you're going to talk about because we yeah. have the time, and it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. My, well, my dad being the kind of guy he was, if a, if a little is good, a lot would be better. Yes, so, I agree. Um, he said, well, let's try putting a lot of ink in this thing and then pressurizing it, and that's or a lot of rubber in it. And so that's basically what we did. It still took thousands of experiments, but eventually we got a breakthrough. 
He's first he started out with a, a pen that had a little pump on the back of it. So when you act, when you extended the point, it pressurized it. It would write about a page, uh, maybe maybe two pages, um, and then you'd have to retract it and repump it to to keep it pressurized. But it didn't take him but a year from that time to figure out how to permanently pressurize it. Of course, we went through our mistakes. We put, remember, we started with uh, a nylon plug in the back because self-sealing, self-healing material. Uh, problem is, air will pass through nylon slowly over time. So it worked great leaving the factory. <laughs> About a year later, there was no pressure left. Right. <laughs> so we ended up having to use a, a brass plug. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So once he had that deal with the post office and he realized he can figure things out, how did the decision to create a pen for space come about? In other words, was it requested by NASA or he decided he was going to create the pen that then NASA would use? He was still just trying to make a better pen. Now, in hindsight, he kind of changed the story a little bit. He said, I got thinking about the <laughs> you know, because that's it's more interesting that yeah, way. Of course. But the reality was he was just trying to make a better pen. And by doing that, by pressurizing and sealing it, you stop the back leaking, you stop the drying out. Uh, because of the rubber system, the system we were using, um, and the quality of points we had to make to that, it stopped the using out the front. Um, and an additional factor, it would write in freezing cold and, of course, upside down, and, or in a, what they call now, not zero gravity, microgravity. That's uh, what we call it um, these days in space. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and so he got it, and he says, yeah, well, and, and Kennedy put this challenge up to, to put a man on the moon, and he's going... Hey, well, these guys are going to need a pen just like this. So he started calling, he got in the congressional record. You know, he called everybody he could think of. He tried NASA, um, didn't get anywhere. And then they had a, an accident. I think it was Apollo 1, uh, where they, they burned in the, on the launch pad. And that basically NASA then said, okay, we got to relook at all this. We've got, they were using a pure oxygen atmosphere at that time. So everything was saturated with oxygen. So when a fire started, it just burnt like you poured gasoline on it. So, because the oxidizer, oxidizer was already uh, immersed in the materials. So um, uh, they banned everything they could that would burn in the cartridge. So, so um, grease pencils, all that kind of thing right. went out the window. Makes sense. Yeah. So... They called around and, you know, they asked Papermate and Parker and uh, Scripto. Those were the really big names at the time. I've got a name for you, which you may not remember, but I'll throw it out there. Lindy. Lindy Pen Company. Sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, at one time, Fisher and Lindy were the two uh, biggest stick pen manufacturers in the country until Pick came along and then Papermate uh, became more of a marketing company, I guess, at least at that end. Um uh, but uh, so I lost my train of thought a little bit here. That's okay. Didn't mean to have you lose it, but I just wanted to bring up that yeah. pen company. Um, so they, so oh, the, the government so, called so around they, to come they up. Call, they called around right. um, those three or four companies, and they didn't get anywhere. And they were talking to Ed Malugin at Dallas Pen, who's a pen wholesaler. And he says, well, you should try Paul Fisher. He does more research than anybody, as far as I know. 
And uh, uh, so they did. And of course, my dad's reaction was, where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> trying to get a hold of you. So, and uh, we submitted samples and um, they put them to, so they didn't spend any money on developing the pen. They might have spent a million dollars testing it. I'm not sure about that, but quite a bit. And after about a year of testing, they decided it was it was good to go. And it was been on every, well, that was the first Apollo mission that burned. Every manned, the first manned Apollo mission was Apollo 7. Right. And we've been on that one and every one since. Got about 50 of them up in the National Space Station today. Uh, International Space Station, excuse me. Um, and uh, for years, uh Based on a suggestion from Sergeant Shriver, my dad had given space pens to the Russians, so they used our pens as well. May not admit it, but we know they did. <laughs> we know some. Of, we met some of the cosmonauts, and they, they will tell uh, you that. <laughs> uh, but what was your dad's reaction to the fact that they finally made it to space? That the pens made it to space? Was he? Uh, excited? Was he happy? Did, was it just he expected it? Or what was his? Or do you know? Oh, what his yeah, reason? he was ecstatic. He, yeah. he he tried to give them to the government for free. He would have been happy to just give just for the pride of the space. Sure, and, and, right. Uh, but but of course that was against government regulations. They had to pay him, so they had to pay him. <laughs> so we gave him the best discount we would have given any host. Right, and, right. And what's fascinating to me, and that's why I wanted to sit down with you, is that. It's been over 50 years, and everybody knows about the Fisher Space Pen. Hardly. Still, <laughs> well, a lot of people still do. Yeah. In other words, it's, it, it started in space, but it has been going strong ever since. And, you know, you're, you're, as I mentioned in the intro, you're here in Boulder City, right outside of Las Vegas. People use the product globally, and... It's just fascinating to me that a product has sustained itself over that. Now, clearly, there's other products that your company makes, other kinds of pens, I mean. But still, the fact that it still has that lineage, I guess, is the part that fascinates me. Uh, yes, well, and, and, you know, once they started using the space, it wasn't the anti-gravity pen anymore. It was the space pen. Right. And that's how we changed the name, so... Um, and you originally, as a company, started out in California, but then you moved to Boulder City. Actually, we started out in 1948 as a division of his screw machine job shop. Correct. That's right. That's in, where he started in out. Chicago, Paul, Illinois. Your dad, Paul Fisher. Yeah, yeah, in Chicago, Illinois. He moved uh, a research facility to California after he got married the second time because his wife, they honeymooned there, and his wife said, I'd love to live here. And he said... Well, if you can find a house to live in in the two days we have left and we can afford, okay. <laughs> and she, she did, found right? a guy that was going to Europe for a year and just wanted somebody to watch his house. Perfect. Perfect deal, right? Yeah. So and, he, and he got a pen out of it. So too. he was trapped. <laughs> uh, so he opened up a research facility. Eventually, we opened up a sales office and did all that. But uh, that's so we ended up in California, uh, and we were doing all the, what I call the hard stuff. We were making a points. Um, eventually, we were making the inks out there, particularly pressurized inks, and uh, assembling all the space pens. Uh, our stick pen business was still, and refill gravity refill business was still in Illinois, and our major sales office was there. Well, let's take a break. Okay. My guest is Kerry Fisher. He's president and co-owner of Fisher Space Pen Company, the iconic American family business based here in Boulder City, right next to Las Vegas. The company was founded by his father, Paul C. Fisher, inventor of the original AG-7 anti-gravity pen, now called the Space Pen. It's the one used by American astronauts on Apollo 7 in 1968. 
For everything about the Fisher Space Pen Company, go to spacepen.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You've seen mobsters and cops face off on the big screen. You've heard the legends of Al Capone and Elliot Ness. But how much do you know about what really happened? Dive into the true stories behind the myths of organized crime and law enforcement at the Mob Museum, the country's finest collection of mob artifacts, history, and interactive exhibits. Find out more and get tickets at themobmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Carrie Fisher, president and co-owner of Fisher Space Pen Company, the iconic American family business based in Boulder City, right next to Las Vegas. The company was founded by his father, Paul C. Fisher. He's inventor of the original AG-7 anti-gravity pen, the one first used by American astronauts on Apollo 7 in 1968, now called the Space Pen. For everything about the Fisher Space Pen Company, go to spacepen.com. And Carrie, you are now the President, as I mentioned, you have, there's a co-owner as well, yes. Doc. Tell us a little bit about Doc. Doc Wong is a uh, very interesting guy. Most accurate man I've ever met. If you want anything proofread, I mean, we can have five people upstairs proofread a new catalog, send it down to Doc, and he'll find 20 <laughs> mistakes in it. So just, just fabulous that way. But he started uh, in uh, at 17. Uh, he was just going to take a summer job. He was working for our plant manager, and, and he was also our quality assurance manager at the time. And he just put the doc to work doing, kept him interested. And he just never ended up going back to school. Um, so he's been here all these years, and uh, uh, because of some estate planning and um, family politics, he ended up with half the business from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys work together well. Oh, yeah. It's been a great partnership. Yeah. I, I, I believe he knows he can trust me, and I certainly trust him. Right. And uh, uh, there's nobody more technically knowledgeable about a pen business, our, particularly our pen business, than Doc. So We talked about the California, moving to California, and then what was the decision to move to Boulder City? Well, my my dad went through his third from end of his third marriage, um, and uh, he was pretty fed up with. So he's going through pens and wives. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, my dad had a great ego. I, uh, more than once, he told me he may be the smartest man in his generation, <laughs> uh, which uh, drive, drove my mother, who was his first wife, absolutely nuts. Um, and, uh, uh, actually, um, that's kind of how he, he ended up running for president. I, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here from that question, right. but, uh, he was failing in his business. I think part of that may have been, um, my, my mother didn't appreciate his ego. And so she was maybe a little hard on it. And so his self-confidence might've suffered a little bit, but, the business was not doing well. He was he was failing, and he finally he said, "I'm going to close the doors. I'm going to go and I'm going to think." He didn't close the doors, but he he left for a couple of weeks. 
He went to the Ozarks with all of us, and he just... Is that where you go to think? That's where he went to think. Okay. And Not everybody goes to the Ozarks to think. Some go up to mountaintops. Yeah, and yeah, some... Well, it was, in it was Malibu a cabin, or, cabin in the Ozarks. Okay, so fair enough. Out of the way. <laughs> and uh, uh, he ended up writing 12 rules. 12 rules. Well... I'm not sure it started out at 12. I think he started at 8. <laughs> and then as, as he came up to something that he didn't want to follow his rule, he, he might amend it. And he also found situations where he needed to add a rule. But he did that, and he started following those 12 rules in his business. And overnight, he became a success. Do you remember any of the rules? Can you give us one or two? Um, always tell the truth was a big one. Uh, be completely accurate. Um, Did he amend the first one at all occasionally? Uh, I think there's some... For purposes of publicity or other reasons? Uh, no, he, I, I think he, uh, he, he, he may have said... Uh, uh, well, one of his rules was you can tell the truth, nothing but the truth, but you don't have to tell the whole truth. Um, so I have saw people try to put words in his mouth to confirm what he's had said, the way they were interpreting it, and he would just kind of go into his that deaf act. So, <laughs> uh, so he wasn't going to hang himself. <laughs> right. Words. So he, he had a right to keep his mouth shut. Right. Basically, you know, so he, but he would, if he opened his mouth, he was going to tell you the truth. And uh, that was probably a really big rule. And, uh, um, well, those no, are I can't. I can't recite them now. But no, that's fine. I like the fact that you at least remembered one or two. Yeah. So the decision to move from California to Boulder City was made by your dad and others, or well, my dad was a sole proprietorship. He could do exactly what he wanted to do, and he wanted to get away from the California taxes, and um, he wanted a, a place that uh, had an international airport um, because he was still flying back to. Chicago at least once a month, um, as well as we wanted to be able to ship efficiently. We had international customers by then. Um, and uh, uh, I actually brought a friend home from school uh, whose father was running the BLM at the time, uh, Richard West. Uh, um, Arlie West was running the BLM. Richard West was my friend. I brought him home for dinner one night, and, and we're talking about it. And he says, well, why don't you look at Henderson? They're really pro-business and, you know, we have low tax base here and we've got an airport. you just got everything you want. So my dad came up and uh, contacted the Nevada Development Authority mm -hmm. and they showed him properties. And this one happened to be a vacant and the Boulder City had given um, the company that, that acquired the property a big tax incentive and all that and they were going to and, and gave them the land I guess or at very low cost they, they had a, if they didn't put create the jobs they, were, they had a right to take the land back so of course now they put this big building up that would be a big loss so they Boulder City basically said you you work out something with this man and and uh, get us some workers back in town or we're going to take your land back and uh, so it worked out we had kind of a crushing lease payment for a while until my dad got an SBA loan and uh, we converted it into an, our own property. And, and you are a small business in a way, although you're global. Part of the, the reason I wanted to talk to you was, well, recently there was the 50th anniversary, but also, too, you went to the White House mm -hmm. for a ceremony. And it was because it, you're, you produce a product 
in America and you're a small business and you're representing Nevada. So tell us a little bit about that experience and what, what that was like. It was pretty neat. I, you know, I'd been to Washington a few times. Um, first time was with my father over the post office business. Did you wear a tie for that White House visit? Um, I did wear a tie. That's right. Um, I was debating on whether I should get one of those space-themed ones. Right. <laughs> power tie. But, um, I think I gave the power tie to my son, and I wore the space-themed one. But, uh, yeah, uh, we had a bunch of people come through. We had the controller of the currency who signed a dollar bill for me. and uh, um, With a Fisher spaceman? Actually, she yes, she did use our pen. That's right. Um, and uh, Wilbur Ross came through. Um, ben Carson came through. Um, Mike Pence came through. Uh, apparently, Donald Trump had come through the night before when everybody set up, unfortunately. The exhibits, in other yeah. words, right. Unfortunately, you know, we looked at it and says, well, we can set up in a half an hour. We'll just do it the morning of the event. So we didn't fly in until Sunday night. So Monday morning we set up, but he didn't see it. So unfortunately, it's not one of the products he picked to talk about in his speech. But I think if we'd been there... So that, that was a tactical error on our part, but happens. Yep. Also, too, uh, the Museum of Modern Art, their permanent collection, they have the pen there as well. That's right. It's uh, it was selected uh, for their permanent collection as an example of elegant industrial design. Uh, that's the New York Museum. Of Modern right. Art. Yes. Um, yeah, I should have said specifically. I, New I don't York, think but. you'll find it displayed currently, but it's in their permanent collection. Right. So, so if they cycle that kind of exhibit back out and make them back out, that's great. Looking forward, and we have just a few minutes left. What looking forward? What do you see the future of the, the company? You obviously, as I mentioned earlier, diversify. You're not just making the space pen. You're making other pens with the same. Clearly, the the same uh, well anti gravity properties, yes. uh, but uh, it's not all the bullet pen. So uh, the bullet shape pen, it's it's regular um, yes, shape that, pens that as well. That bullet shape pen is is interesting. Just as a quick aside, if we're assuming we've got time, my dad designed that pen in 1948. It's still our bestseller, and that's the one that's in the Museum of Modern Art. But of course, we make retractables, we make keychain pens, and carabiner, you know, things with carabiners. Um, but the original one is your bestseller still. Yes, amazingly. And, of course, we do it now in about 10 different finishes. So, uh, you know, so we've got reds and black, of course, and um, uh, titanium, gold titanium nitride and black titanium nitride, right. a rainbow titanium. And so. well, was there an uh, evolutionary decision, not revolutionary, but evolutionary decision over a period of time to diversify in terms of the look of the finish and the, the different kinds of shapes of pens that you deal with now? Or or was it something that you just decided at some point from now on, we're not just doing the space, but we're also doing A, B, and C? Um, well, we, we call them all space pens, and they're just filling consumer niches for people who want so, uh, to differentiate a little different. Yeah, so to di differentiate the bullet pen versus the other space pens, let's put it that way, right? In other yeah. words... Well, we made we had to make a retractable pen with an all-metal mechanism for NASA. So we had the retractable pens. Before that, we made a lot of stick pens, but they were all gravity pens. Um, and eventually, we got out of that business by choice. We want to make something that we make better than anybody else. And so we pretty much only make pressurized ballpoint pens. We make them for different uh, applications, like we sell them for high-speed drafting machines, 
the logging, the, the log house industry uses them. It's not very big volume, but they find it very useful to write on logs for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. They <laughs> got me. <laughs> but they have to mark the logs before they cut them and stuff like that. And, um, uh, so, uh, as far as where the future goes, um, I, I think everybody's, most people would say, well, in 20 years, and they probably said that 20 years ago, we won't be using <laughs> pens anymore because they said we wouldn't be using paper by then. Correct. Uh, but the reality is you probably always want to have a writing instrument or a marking instrument for something. And because our pen, we've had pens that come back that are over 30 years old, it's still right. You're not going to get another technology type of pen that's exposed to the atmosphere, the ink is exposed to the atmosphere, that that's going to happen. Um, uh, so if you got a pen that's sitting in your glove compartment or in your desk that you're only going to pull out once every six months, it's kind of frustrated if the second time you want to use it, it's all dried up already. Don't have that problem with our pen. Great way so. to end it. I appreciate it. My guest has been Carrie Fisher, president and co-owner of Fisher Space Pen Company, the iconic American family business based in Boulder City, right next to Las Vegas. The company was founded by his father, Paul C. Fisher, inventor of the original AG-7 anti-gravity pen, the one first used by American astronauts on Apollo 7 in 1968. For everything about the Fisher Space Pen Company, go to spacepen.com. And Kerry, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah, be Las Vegas. Anything you want us to be.